Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome to episode four of series 20 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. On the show today, I'm talking to Placid Hover, VP of HR for Latin America at Unilever. We have created really a new type of employment contract, something that doesn't exist today anywhere to our knowledge. And what we've done is with this now new type of employment contract, um, we have created a hybrid between what it what it means to be a full-time equivalent working for a company like Unilever and a hybrid between that full-time equivalent and being a contractor for a gig worker. Throughout the episode, Placid shares various insights from his 17 plus years working in HR at Unilever, which included a three-year stint as VP of Org Design and People Analytics from 2013 to 2016, which is actually where Placid and I first met. Placid and I discuss his perspective on how the people analytics field has evolved over the last decade. We look at how Unilever is tackling inclusivity, in particular when it comes to age and changing workforce demographics. We look at the new innovative model that Unilever has launched called U-Work that helps its workforce to work, earn, learn and live differently. Placid and I also discuss the impact of the pandemic on the advancement of new working models for the future of work. And we also look at how behavioural science can help improve the workplace. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Placide Hovera, uh, Vice President for HR at Unilever uh, for LATAM, so Head of HR for LATAM, to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Welcome to the show, Placide. Um, we've known each other for a long time, but but please, can you provide listeners with, with a brief introduction to, to you and your role at Unilever? Yes, absolutely. And good to see you, David. A pity that we cannot do this uh, face-to-face, but it's really, good, uh, it's really good to see you, my friend. So hopefully by my Spanglish, uh, you can tell uh, that I'm definitely not from uh, not from the UK. I was born uh, in Barcelona. That's where I studied. I studied business administration, and as I was finishing my MBA, um, I started to uh, an internship uh, at Bacardi, working our in their marketing department. Um, and uh, soon after, I moved uh, to Unilever uh, to join HR. Uh, this is uh, quite quite a while ago. And uh, at the moment, as you said, uh, David, I'm the head of HR for uh, Unilever in LATAM. This is a uh, six, seven, uh, uh, eight, depending on what currencies uh, do, uh, billion dollar business, uh, 30,000 people, uh, 23 countries. And uh, prior to being in this part of the world with Unilever, I, uh, I've been with a company in Spain, uh, also uh, done HR in the Netherlands, uh, four years in Switzerland. I was in the UK for six uh, three of which, as you will remember, I, I built the, uh, the analytics capability for, for Unilever in HR. Then we moved to Argentina and Uruguay. Just uh, for completeness, I, I am a dad, father of two, married to Julia, and I love uh, to learn. I love running, love cooking, and uh, love traveling and reading. And, and that's a couple of things we have in common. Father of two, love running, love cooking, so yeah, and love learning. So uh, probably why we, we, we uh, kind of hit it off when we met, I think it was Oh, maybe back, all the way back in 2013 or 2014 when I was still at CLO before I joined IBM. Um, you know, and I think when people analytics was very much an emerging space, and as you said, you were building that capability 
at Unilever at the time. I remember you bringing a, a summit together um, at Unilever at Four Acres um, in near Kingston. And it was a gathering of academics, practitioners, thinkers and tech firms and me, uh, which was very kind of you to invite me. And the, the field has, has come a long way since then. You know, we've really seen people analytics evolve. And obviously, you now as, a, as an HR leader in a region, you know, obviously using probably people analytics in to solve some of the, the big challenges out there. I'd love to see how, from someone that's been in the space and now he's adjacent to the space, I'd love to see how you see it proceed, you know, the evolution of careers in people analytics and, and how the landscape has, has, has really changed since, uh, since 2014 when we first met. Yes, it definitely, as we say in Spanish, it rained a lot uh, since 20, <laughs> 2013 or 2014. And as, as I remember, David, um, back in the day, as I was uh, yeah, building that, uh, that capability, there were no playbooks. Uh, there were really no benchmarks. Um, finding skills uh, to uh, to join HR analytics. I don't want to say it was a mission impossible, but it was close to uh, uh, yeah, being a mission impossible um, type of thing. Even if you managed to, uh, to get people to join, it was uh, really difficult to retain them. Uh, first, because still back then, that was a really hot skill. But also, it was yeah. really difficult to uh, to offer um, a compelling career proposition uh, for people that, that that had that skill set. So there were no career paths. I think from a data perspective, uh, yeah, we were uh, data rich probably already, but not data intelligent. And as I remember, also going to the HR Technology Conference, uh, talking to a number of people, including yourself, um, the tech readiness I don't think was uh, where it is today. So all in all, I think it was it was difficult. Uh, to build analytics uh, and to learn from other people um, compared to what it is uh, what it is today. Again, if I reflect, therefore, our you know, our current reality on uh, on driving analytics, I think today it is a really good place to be, David. Uh, analytics, generally speaking, NHR analytics as well in particular, I think today it's also fair to say, hopefully, that there are more benchmarks. It is easier to learn uh, from peers, from other industries, from literature, we have better talent in this space. Continues to be there is scarcity, but there is better talent. I think that the uh, the uh, the talent that you can get to uh, to HR analytics, I think today a company can offer a compelling career proposition uh, to those individuals. So uh, I think it is also easier uh, to retain that uh, that talent. Uh, of course, technology uh, is is fantastic these days, and I would say yeah. compared to seven years ago, where everything was a challenge, today it's all about endless possibilities. Right. There is uh, there is one probably common thread uh, that I would like to uh, to probably call out between uh, 2013, 2014, and 2022 now, which is what hasn't changed is probably the need to stay really grounded, really close uh, to the business and to the problems that uh, that will make a difference to uh, to your company and to the consumer and to the customer. That's the recipe to just win. Doesn't matter if it was seven or eight years ago versus today. Yeah. I think that that has not changed for sure. And, and and I'm guessing you're seeing that now, being you know leading HR in LATAM, obviously quite a long way from Unilever's headquarters from a from a mileage perspective. You know, what are some of the differences that that you've seen from from being at the centre and building that capability in OD and people analytics versus leading HR for a region and 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 being a, almost a, a customer of, of of analytics there. I think having an analytics uh, team or, uh, or or function or, or capability, uh, David, I think makes us better 
as, uh, as professionals on, uh, on the ground, having good quality data when it comes to making uh, hiring decisions, um, managing doing workforce planning, um, the ability today to uh, more, uh, more easily to connect people with the finance uh, side of things. That's very insightful. That's very helpful when it comes to business forecasting, right? Um, yeah. at, the, uh, at the point of uh, yeah, making appointments, uh, managing talent, having uh, good insights, good talent scorecards. I think that takes a bit of emotion from, uh, from people's decisions. And uh, whilst it's impossible to eliminate completely bias, I think we can have a more complete, objective, fair conversation about a number of topics where in the past it was all about uh, experience. Um, so that's probably what, uh, what I would say. Having that, that capability uh, makes people on the ground uh, much, uh, much more powerful. The challenge for people in those jobs is to never forget that your consumer is people like me uh, and people like my teams on, uh, on the ground. And whilst it is, it is nice and it is necessary that those teams just keep pushing boundaries, keep pioneering, keep, keep working on cutting edge, whatever type of, uh, of research, uh, in the end, all of that is pointless unless we get the rest of people in HR to consume, to use, to understand, and actually to make decisions uh, using uh, using that data, uh, David. So that's probably my uh, my answer to your question. Great, and that that leads quite nicely onto onto the next question. You know, but the other thing to say, and you know, just put it out there, is you know, with that People Analytics Summit that you organised at Unilever, and then and then Nikki carried on. Um, that definitely was, you know, that was one of the inspirations that that as we kind of created Insight Two Two Two. So a bit of a personal thank you there as well, bringing smart people together you solve problems much quicker. And I think that's a, a, a great principle for, for us to learn both within companies and as we work between companies as well. So, so let's throw it forwards now. You know, what do you think new entrants into the field of HR or people analytics can, can expect out of their career uh, in the coming years, m- maybe even in the next decade or so, really asking you to look forward now, having looked look back a bit? Oof, um, making predictions these days is a bit, uh, is a bit challenging. Um, but... Uh, what I think, uh, in my opinion about it, David, is surely this will be a good place to be. I think yeah. uh, human resources, uh, analytics uh, will continue to be a good place uh, to be. Um, and HR will be a profession that is becoming, and a function that is becoming more and more science-based. And therefore, this benefits uh, the analytics uh, the analytics. Uh, function uh, as well. Um, as I look into the future, and again, I, I, I cannot detach myself from the reality of the world, what it takes to run a business. I think it will be super important for people joining HR and analytics uh, that, uh, that we have the ability to continue to lead innovation, uh, that we contribute to shaping uh, with our expertise, with our skill set, with our data, with our insights, uh, to shape and execute successfully business strategy. Um, I think we all can agree that change is here uh, to stay um, and therefore the ability to deliver change in an organization is something that uh, HR people will continue, will have to do, supported also by, uh, by the analytics team. So uh, the landing, uh, managing change. There is something also around building and inspiring people and in, uh, in talent and creating an inclusive and, uh, and diverse uh, workforce. 
in all of this, there is an important component, which is the employee experience. Uh, not yep. to forget about that. And not just about the experience to your own employees, but also to everyone that ends up getting in touch uh, with, uh, with your business. And also, how do you measure all, uh, all of that? What's the ROI of the experience? And each one of these sub-activities within, the, uh, within the experiences um, that you create. And last but not the least, there is also something, David, I would say about uh, navigating su- successfully a, uh, a multi-level type of uh, stakeholder environment uh, that uh, that we are living in. So I think that those would be a few nuggets of what it would take to succeed for those people joining HR and analytics. But definitely, I think this will be a really good place to be. And the pandemic, um, let's not talk too much about it. Uh, everyone has been speaking probably about uh, COVID and, uh, and so on for, uh, for quite a long time. But the, the pandemic just has accelerated and shown the importance that having good HR and good analytics people, uh, the importance that that can have to, uh, to your business. In the end, a company is brands and people and successfully yeah. uh, managing people, building teams. Uh, that's surely uh, the recipe for success if you do things right. Yeah, and I think, as you say, again, we don't want to talk about the pandemic too much, but that that focus on employee experience and well-being has really been there and i know it's been in there in in, in unilever exactly. for the last two years and analytics is so important for that so whether it's just whether it's doing regular surveys whether it's looking at some of the collaboration data and, and understanding things like burnout collaboration or over collaboration or lack of focus time it's just thought as you were saying those those capabilities that ability for all hr professionals not necessarily to be de- clearly not to be data scientists and uh, and, and run analysis, but to be to think more analytically, tie those insights to the business and to the, you know whether that's business leaders, but even to customers as well. Understanding that link, as you said, it, we're, we're people and brands effectively. Um, and then, as you said, then think how do we measure that employee experience, and 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 how do we then um, measure it, understand it, but also create actions that improve the employee experience and. And tells employees what we're doing as well. There's there's so much there, isn't there, for us as a as a function to 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 learn and grow from. Absolutely. And uh, just a small aside, uh, David. E- even when we talk about employee experience, even in some small things like you are running a town hall uh, for your company, right? And you do it virtually. The fact that after the town hall, you can send an easy survey with uh, quantity and quality uh, type of questions. And you take the time uh, to ask those questions, to wait for the answers, to understand what people are saying, what is it that they want to hear next time. Even in those small things, you are improving the experience of people, right? So I think anyways, for me, that is a pl- it is a place of endless possibilities uh, and making workplace uh, workplaces a bit better uh, than, uh, than they were before. Yeah, agreed. So, so if, we, if we turn to the future of work more more broadly, you talk a lot about longevity. Um, uh, we, we, you know, you did these excellent, and I do recommend people check them out. Um, plus, he posted towards the end of twenty twenty one ten provocations um, on his on his LinkedIn feed, um, and one of them was about the longevity revolution. Actually, you, you you called it. I know you're particularly passionate about the age dimension of inclusive working practices. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about that and, and why you believe it's so important for organizations to get it right? Yes, and um, one day, not, not today in this podcast, because I think uh, you have uh, lots of people listening and it is a quite intimate story, David, but one day over coffee, I'll tell you the why I'm passionate uh, in particular, what's, what's really the, uh, the thing and that fire that drives my, my interest and my appetite for, uh, uh, for longevity. Um, 
But speaking from a more conceptual place, when I look at uh, the diversity, equity, and inclusion agenda, I think it is also fair to say that most companies, most of us think about it uh, through the lens of gender, uh, of race, uh, disability, and sexual orientation. Yeah, these are, uh, these are the four main pillars when companies talk about the efforts, what is it that we are doing, our practices, etc., etc. And whilst all of those four pillars are really, really important, I think we can't, we can't forget that the age dimension is also really important uh, in all of this. Um, and in addition to longevity and age, uh, the fact that I've been now in, uh, in Latin for uh, two and a half years, there is another, another point probably to call out, David, which is the socioeconomic component, yeah. uh, especially in geographies where the divide between uh, people who have a job, a good income, a good place to live from those that don't, uh, not having that part of the workforce well represented uh, can be a drag uh, to your business. But anyways, going back to the, uh, to the point around longevity, I was, uh, when I was head of HR in the UK, um, I was just looking at data and thinking ahead. I think that that's the job when you are in, a, in one of those uh, big HR jobs, right? You're not just managing today. I think it's uh, equally important to look, to look at the mid and the long term, not just how we are going to close the month or, or the quarter. And I was looking at the, at the UK. And back then, and I don't think that data has changed over the last two and a half years, the UK has roughly 66 million people living in it. 66. When you look at the active population, so meaning people, I think it's aged, uh, every country is different, but 16 uh, to 65 and contributing, um, the number drops from 66 to 33 million people. From those 33 million people, those that are working, contributing, paying taxes, one third of that pool of workers, pool of people, are aged 50 and above. So the first question that I was asking myself, David, is we have a third of our population aged 50 and above. Can I say, can we say, could you all say that our people practices our policies, how we think, how we approach a number of things, how we approach recruitment. Uh, can we say that this is inclusive? Because it's a massive pool. Are we listening enough to them? We run focus groups in the UK with, uh, with that segment of the population. And it, it broke my heart to listen what they had to say about the missed opportunities uh, of not talking to them enough, not listening to them enough, etc., etc. Um. But this is not the end of the story, David, I think. So 66, 33, and one-third. But then the other, the other important insight when it comes to longevity was the UK um, is getting, in terms of talent inflow, uh, you guys are getting around a million people joining the, uh, the workforce. But you're losing two million people a year. Yeah. So there is something uh, that has to do with how do we keep people employed people in the pitch for a longer period of time. Uh, we will not fix the skill shortage, the talent wars, just with graduate schemes. I think that the, the answer needs to be more holistic, uh, more systemic. And, and another data point that I came across the other day uh, reading a magazine. Don't ask me what's the magazine. I can, I can search for it, David, but uh, the data points is something along the lines of 
every day, every day between now and 2030, 10,000 people in the US are getting to the age of 65. 10,000 per day between now and, 20, uh, and 2030. So wow. for me, bottom line, and I, I don't have all the answers, eh, David, when it comes to longevity, but I just know there is something in that segment of the population that has probably a number of the answers to problems that we currently have. Yeah, I'll leave it here. No, no, it's a, it's a good provocation. And yeah, I mean, I mean, if you look at some of the data in other countries, I know if I look at Europe, Germany in particular has a shrinking workforce. Um, you know, and, and the UK is, as you rightly said, a lot of the a lot of the economies in, in Western Europe, the US, other countries as well. So, you know, and at the same time, healthcare is getting better. People are living longer. People having longer Absolutely. careers will have to have longer careers because some of the some of the we could really go into this one, couldn't we? Some of the, the sort of state systems in the in the in in Europe in particular around retirement, they're not they're not affordable in the long run. Um, skills are changing quicker and quicker anyway. So this idea that you go to school and then you work is is kind of redundant now. You've got to be continuously learning, which is something we're really seeing HR professionals getting involved with. So uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm passionate about that as well. Uh, not and not just because I'm approaching fifty. Um, I hate to say it. I think you're exactly right for the seed. And social economic is is another area of diversity, equity, inclusion. I think we'll see more uh, talk about in, in coming years. When we come back in just a moment, Placid talks about some of the myths of the multi-generational workforce and how Unilever is changing the way it manages, retains and attracts talent. This series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast is sponsored by iPsychTech. Their CultureScope cloud application is one of the most advanced and scientific approaches to culture and behavioural measurement to drive performance and manage risk throughout organisations. Their diagnostic methods are innovative, simple, accurate, and very efficient. What's really unique is that CultureScope applies behavioral data science to your specific organizational key performance metrics, allowing for the diagnosis and recommendations of specific actionable insights to make a sustainable difference. Using forward-looking predictive neural intelligence, CultureScope is able to recommend simple solutions to difficult problems and can provide a clear roadmap for culture implementation to maximize your impact and brand value. To find out more, head over to iPsychTech.com. Welcome back to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast with Placide Hover, VP of HR for Latin America at Unilever. Now, back to the conversation. Let's continue that conversation a little bit. You know, you know, obviously it's important that countries get it right, organizations get it right as well, because you know, this population represents a significant proportion of, of, of their of their of their workforce and probably a, an even a growing area of their workforce as well. Absolutely. What are some of what are some of the myths about the so-called multi-generational workshop you think that the organizations and maybe commentators get a little bit trapped by? Oof, really good question. And um, so probably would say uh, three things, uh, David, and this, again, it's my opinion when it comes to, uh, to myths. But what I've seen when I talk, uh, when I talk to people uh, in HR, in, uh, in my business, in other businesses, I would distill the essence of those myths in, in, three, um, 
in three distinct uh, buckets. One would be, this does not apply to me. This does yeah. not apply to my country. You know, the, uh, the numbers that you're quoting plus it for the UK and the US uh, have nothing to do with me. You know, this is a young country, lots of young people. We are really far away from me. The point is, doesn't matter your demographics today. We are all pretty much uh, going to follow the same pattern. So why wait? Uh, yeah. Which leads me to my second point, which is, yeah, we all know this, but we have time. We have time. Don't worry, yeah. we'll, we'll get it right. You know, we have so many priorities today uh, that, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's leave it here. Let's put it in the backlog and, uh, and we'll start working on it uh, in a couple of years. But right now we are, uh, we are fine, aren't we? The other one, David, and it's uh, probably, I'm not sure if it's politically incorrect. If it is, I'll give you permission to uh, delete this part from, from the podcast. But another myth, I think it's, we believe that people, when they get to a certain age, they lose motivation, they don't work hard, they are slow, they don't learn fast, and I completely disagree. Yeah. So those would be the yeah. three things. Doesn't apply to me. Yeah, my reality in my country is different. Plenty of time, we'll sort it. We don't sort those things. You don't sort this uh, from one year to another. We need to collectively start working, uh, working on it. And last but not the least, this perception that, yeah, you know, uh, when people get to a certain age, yeah, they need to uh, they need to be put aside. I, I refuse. I refuse to believe this. Yeah, I, and I completely agree with that. And I think the data points out that that's correct as well. You know, just because you're older doesn't mean that you can't be a digital native effectively. You know, you've got another skills of that. So, yeah, it, it, very interesting topic. I, I know it's something that you're tackling at Unilever. I'd love to hear, you know, how, how can we... How can we tackle changing workforce demographics? And can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Unilever to address this? Yes, yeah, so probably same as everyone, uh, everyone uh, listening and every company uh, out there, we are all um, trying new things, learning, um, experimenting. Um, so the point that I'm making, David, is uh, I, I don't claim that, uh, that we have found a solution. I'm probably just acknowledging same as everyone else. We are, uh, we are trying to, uh, to contribute. Um, yeah, but probably the I will start by saying that when when we live in a market where supply is short, probably the answer is actually to build instead of buying skills and talent. So that is something when we talk about workforce demographics, um, are we really connected to our own workforce, or are we building from within? instead of buying from outside. There is a philosophical point here, if you wish. And again, this is pure economic supply and demand. And supply will continue to be short uh, for the, uh, for the uh, following years. So there is something around building. The, uh, the, probably the example that I can call out, um, David, is, uh, is something that uh, the brand internally and externally is, is, is you work. Yeah. And uh, this is something that uh, together with a colleague, we started to work on it in 2017. So back to my point around, we will not find the answers from one day to another. Tackling these big problems requires time, imagination, managing change, et cetera, et cetera. So we started this journey in 2017. It's now 2022, just to give you an idea. Yes. Um, and basically what we found, and I'm really proud about it, David, we have created really a new type of employment contract, something that doesn't exist today anywhere to our knowledge. And what we've done is, with this now new type of employment contract, um, 
we have created a hybrid between what it what it means to be a full-time equivalent working yeah. for a company like yeah, Unilever um, and a hybrid between that full-time equivalent and being a contractor or a gig worker. And uh, let me let me let me give you a, a bit more flavor. Imagine a gig worker that gets a pension contribution every month. Imagine a full-time equivalent that doesn't need, or an employee, that doesn't need to be working for Unilever and could go and work for another company. Whilst every month, he or she gets paid a monthly contribution from Unilever. That's the type of new thing that we have created, uh, David. I think it's revolutionary. Uh, It's allowing us to retain skills and people that otherwise we would have lost. Yeah. Um, the type of individuals that uh, at the moment are benefiting from it, it's, uh, it's people that are approaching the age of retirement, but they don't want to retire fully. So this is a yeah. way for them to keep connected to Unilever, but working with a company in a completely different way. The other type of archetype of per- or persona or individual that is benefiting from it is uh, some of our young grads that joined the company, but at some point they say, oh, I would love to continue to study, or I would love and go for someone else, or I would love and uh, join the startup movement, or I would love to whatever. That's a way for them to remain in the Unilever ecosystem. And again, eh, they are employees. They are employees that do not need to work for us uh, all the time. Uh, They work on projects, even when we have projects. However, every month, doesn't matter if they work or they don't. Every month they get paid. They have a pension contribution. They have healthcare provided uh, for and, uh, and by the company. And all of these that sounds quite impossible. Quite uh, is this really affordable? The economics that we've put behind show that this yeah. is a sustainable model that works for people, works for the company, and works uh, and works for all, and is responsible as well. We started with an experiment just to give you a few more uh, nuggets of um, uh, on this topic. We started uh, to work on this in 2017. We started to experiment in 2019 in the UK. At the moment, so now it's 2022, less than three years later, we are approaching really, really fast, uh, having a total of 100 people um, in this model. Um, we are live in countries, of course, like the UK, uh, but also in, uh, in Argentina, in Mexico, in uh, Turkey, the Philippines, we just launched now in India. And it is really nice to see that we have from grads, when it comes now to he- levels and hierarchies, we have from graduates to actually directors and vice presidents that have joined this type of lifestyle. And the claim behind you, David, is work, earn, learn and live differently. And that's the type of HR uh, that I think can change the world. And going back to analytics, going back to tech, now what I need to solve for is what type of technology do I put to manage this type of workforce? How do I pay these people? Do I do it using my traditional payroll provider and system? Is there a different and a better way? How do I connect with these people? How do I offer them work with Unilever? And again, this is just a small example, something that started, as I say, in 2017, five years ago, went live in 2019, but it's opening now. 
a world of possibilities in the way that we manage, retain, and attract talent. And it's really exciting. Yeah, very exciting. And, and as you said, very different. I've not heard of any other organizations doing that. Um, but you can see that that's something that, that could certainly grow. And, you know, one thing I've, I've learned really from, from working with you and, and, and others at Unilever over the years is that you're a big company, one of the biggest companies around, but that, uh, that you know, you desire to experiment. I mean, we had Jeroen Wells, one of your colleagues on last year, talking about the work that you've done around talent marketplace and, and how that you, your room was even talking, I don't know, something that you've talked about as well, about actually sharing talent between organizations, which I guess in a way you work is is a way of doing that, is one way of doing that. Absolutely. Um, and your room talked about, you know, by doing that, you get the benefit of maybe people spending time with startups and bringing some of that innovation then into Unilever as well. So that's that supports the individual because it gives them that variety that they're looking for, that flexibility. But it also supports, as you said, the organization because it generates ideas and outside in thinking as well to, to really help the organization as well. So it's it's one of those, you know, you work is something that everyone wins by, whether it's the 100, the 100 workers at the moment and no doubt more in the future that are part of that, um, um, that, that, that scheme, if you want to call it that. The company benefits, you know, because you've got access to those people, um, you, you, you're helping them develop and learn as well. And then the ideas that help generate. Um, absolutely, flow. absolutely. So that's for me, the, and that's why it's so exciting, right? It's not just about HR for HR. It's uh, HR that actually solving business and societal problems. And that's really cool, working at the intersection. Very good. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you're looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the MyHR Future Academy. It's a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you'll see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way helping you to close your skills gaps, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Now, let's go back to the conversation with Placid as he shares his thoughts on the impact of the pandemic on the future of work. Do you think the impact of the pandemic is going to help or hinder the advancement of new working models like you work uh, for the future of work? Yeah, the short answer um, is yes. The short answer is yes. And uh, it's actually interesting that you asked this question also, David, at the beginning, um, and I'm now going back to Feb, March 2020, uh, when the world actually just came to a a complete stop. My worry was what's going to happen to this? Because we launched something that it's really cool meets the consumer, in this case, the consumer being the, uh, the employee uh, the company needs. And the pandemic will create fear. Who wants to leave the security of a full-time job, uh, work, etc., to go to this type of scheme, David? That was our fear. To our surprise, our numbers have just been growing. We started with uh, one person. And again, two, two and a half years later, we have 100. And we are live in more than, uh, I think it's 10 countries, approaching 15. All of this has happened working virtually 
and during the pandemic. So I can say in first person, in the first person, I'm not sure what's the, uh, the right way to say this in English, um, but uh, I'm sure that the, uh, the pandemic has accelerated, not stopped, a number of those, a number of those shifts. Yeah, and, and, you know, we've had several guests on the show over the last two years and, you know, whether they're people like Heather McGowan that kind of a- analyse the whole fit the space, um, whether it's practitioners such as yourself, and, you know, the general consensus is that, you know, the future work has been advanced or accelerated um, by the pandemic. Obviously, we can't forget it's been a health crisis. Um, it's really pushed HR to the forefront and those that have got, you know, skilled HR practitioners invested in analytics, you know, prepared to experiment, whether with, with schemes like UWork or, or experiment around what hybrid work might mean for an organization, what that means for workplace design. We can see that those organizations are driving engagement, retention uh, within their within their workforces, but also actually, you know, my hypothesis is those are the companies that will, and it's not just my hypothesis, I used to have, those are the companies that will recover quicker as hopefully this year at some point, um, you know, we, we begin to move out of the pandemic. And let's hope that that happens in, in, in 2022. Again, let's, let's come back to inclusion as a, as a kind of bigger topic. You know, what would be your number one piece of advice to, to other organisations that are hearing what you're saying and thinking, oh, you know, we, that, that could be something that we could really include to our inclusive practices here and to develop more inclusive um, working practices within their organisation? Yeah, so probably I would say, because even though we all have data, at times we just don't connect deeply with that data, but I would just say, really, really, really understand uh, the data behind your, uh, your workforce and demographics and the one that is driving the, the economy uh, yeah. that, that you and your company belong to. Again, I'm not sure that, that we do that enough, so that's probably would be, that would be the, uh, the first thing that I would say. Um, once you connect, understand the data, I would uh, probably suggest uh, to create awareness um, and to talk about it um, with colleagues within the HR function, in leadership team meetings. I think that uh, raising awareness at the top table, uh, that, makes a big, uh, that makes a big difference. And last but not the least, probably borrowing um, the words that you said also, David, now just find time, energy, resources, people, money to just experiment and uh, seek to find ways to increase that flexibility and personalization that us as human beings and workers are craving for uh, more and more um, and create, again, workplaces where people want to, uh, want to belong. Those would be the three or four things that I would, uh, that I would say. And it kind of comes back to what you said earlier around so using data to understand the problem, if there is a problem, but understand the problem at a deeper level, because obviously... If you are speaking to leadership teams at the top table, you need data to, 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 to talk about it. And as you said, that, that flexibility and personalization really links what to what you were talking about, employee experience, you know, because not, exactly. not every employee wants the same thing. They want different things out of work. And it's about understanding that, isn't it? And, and offering that flexibility and personalization to, to help people get what they want out of an employee. Or not an employee. Or not an employee, exactly. So, Plessy, we come to the, the, the last question before I just ask for your contact details and stuff for people to, to, to learn more. And this is a question we're asking everyone on the series and, and maybe quite one that's quite close to your heart, given your background in, in OD and analytics as well. Now, how does behavioural science help improve the workplace? 
So this is the question that you're asking everyone. I should have I should have checked. <laughs> uh, no, I think um, so. Probably insights about the workforce that would be uh, that would be how it helps. Insights about the workforce uh, helps to remove bias. Doesn't eliminate, but helps to remove. Yeah. And uh, equally important, I think that uh, helps also to create a more empathetic less judgmental a point of view about the world those would be the three things and it kind of links a little bit to in your 10 provocations i'll read it to you because you did write it a few months ago uh, your last word was was around you said the role of hr technology to manage all talent and people data and extract the right insights through people analytics is key for sound decision making and i think I mean, I'd love exactly. to hear a bit more about uh, about your thinking about that, maybe, because I think that links very much to this question. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I'll need to reread those 10 provocations. <laughs> no, but uh, I think probably I referred already uh, to it um, at, at the beginning of our chat, right? Uh, David, I think the um, having good data, good insights, that capability within uh, within the company uh, making that data available at the point of need. You know, also quite often we can have lots of data, but when you're looking at it, you just say, oh, what, uh, what, what, when, was this, uh, when was this last uh, reviewed or extracted, this snapshot, where is, it, where is it coming from? But if you have available, ready now, good quality data, I think that that effectively helps us all make good people decisions, good talent decisions. So... That's uh, that's what I would say around that uh, that provocation, and you therefore need that skill set. You need that capability. You need good technology, and you need also people that can consume that data and understand where things are coming from, and why the system, why the dashboard, why the PBI, why whatever is telling you uh, what it what it is telling, so that you also know what you have to do with it. That's a great way to 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 end our discussion, Plessy. Th- thanks very much, and I do recommend. Uh, as I said, people go onto LinkedIn and and, and follow Placid. Um, always posting some. In, don't post as much as I do, but then again, that's probably a good thing. Um, but when you do post, it's always definitely it makes you think, and I think that's important um, as as we as we all seek to learn. So, so thanks for being a guest on the Digital HR Leaders Podcast, Placid. And you know, it's always good to catch up with you. Can can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you uh, and follow you on social media and and find out more about your work? Yes, absolutely. Um... So placid.jover at unilever.com. Uh, that's, the, that's the email um, for David's friends. Um, I'm always available. Uh, I'm also LinkedIn. And uh, that's the way to find me, David. Very simple. Email and my LinkedIn. That's all. Well, thanks very much, Placid. It's the first time we've had a guest from Montevideo. Um, so that's, uh, that, that's, that's really cool. It's, it's always great to talk. <laughs> thanks very much for being on the show. No, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, David. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show with five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com. Tune in next week for episode five of series 20, where I'll be joined by John Boudreau and Revin Jejuthazen, who will be discussing their new book, their brilliant new book, Work Without Jobs. So don't miss that one. Until then, stay safe, 
stay well and take care.